This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Now, I have in studio Nick Engel of uh, MX Fitness and Fighting Gyms. And normally I would uh, bring him into studio to talk about why I'm still fat. Uh, but today we're talking about something far more important than that. Uh, we're going to be talking about alcoholism in the community. Uh, and uh, it's you know alcoholism is one of those things we don't like to talk about. It happens elsewhere in other places. And uh, I want to have a chat about it. I want to talk about is it a real issue? If it is, where is it coming from? Um, and uh, I'd love to get your perspectives as well. 0618951019. 0618951019. That's on Telegram or SMS. three four five one nine. Do you think alcoholism is a problem in our community? And if so, where are you seeing it? And we brought in Nick Engel because he is an alcoholic. Nick, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's weird not making you do burpees. Uh, not on air. Not on air, Nick. Uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, I always find this interesting, Nick, is that uh, alcoholics always identify this way. They always say, I'm an alcoholic. You never leave. Never leave. It's like being, it's a disease, so it defines who we are. But uh, the the valuable part of it is actually it's our superpower because one of the compo- things of alcoholism or any addiction is the desire not to feel the pain of the trauma that we had. So we would drink, we would use drugs, we would gamble, we would use all of these things not to feel. And unfortunately, once we start, we were unable to stop. And that's where the chaos and the damage came from. But uh, So for you, where did that start? Uh, nine years old at a Pesach dinner. Uh, first cup of wine, fell in love immediately, and uh, literally was hiding the wine in my pea soup. And I drank from the age of nine to about 36. Uh, my my drinking caused a lot of damage to my loved ones, my family, and um, to myself. And uh, it nearly cost me my life. So I drank because I had quite major trauma in my childhood, uh, from child abuse to uh, witnessing my stepfather's suicide, all of these different things that I couldn't deal with. And uh, the moment I started drinking, I found a coping mechanism. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a really tough thing. How long have you been clean for? Uh, so sober for October. Sorry, yeah, sober, me. that's fine. Yeah. Sober for th- uh, will be 13 years. So it's my bar mitzvah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not having a drink. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> no, no. Cheesecake at Angelica's. <laughs> there we go. So, okay. So, so you've, you, that's interesting because it's, it's not only that you, that you kind of have been through the, uh, the destruction of it, but it's the gateway, so to speak, was also the Jewish experience. So you're kind of quite well qualified to say in our community where this is an issue and what's an issue. So where are you seeing alcoholism, you know, raising its head in our community? What kind of stuff are you seeing that's that's causing you concern? So I'm getting a lot of people coming to speak to me, either people that believe they, because people are aware that I'm in recovery, I work with a lot of addicts and alcoholics. I do a lot of work with Houghton House, um, de- with Dan Wolf, with training the guys. And um, people come and talk to me because they're concerned that they have a drinking problem or that someone they care about has a drinking problem. And uh, it, it's rife. Because, I mean, I started drinking at nine. Um, you know, a child of nine years old should not be given alcohol. And where we see in our communities, you know, we have these Lachaim clubs or these social clubs, at Shul, Brochers, and all of this stuff, and where you've got a lot of underage drinking. And the problem with that is the, you know, your, your brain is still developing and still forming. We, we're chemical and hormonal machines. So once we start to affect that, 
we start to affect how our brain develops. Also, the problem with drinking from an early age is that you stop developing the coping skills. So I drank because I couldn't deal with the trauma. In sobriety, I've had to deal with the trauma, and now I can and I can live my life. When you start drinking, particularly early on, and you may not even be aware of the pain and trauma that you're dealing with, but you start denying yourself the ability to cope uh, and deal with what you have to deal with. So, I mean, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, Nick, we hear you, we think it's an important issue that you're raising, uh, but it's a Lachain club at shul, right? That doesn't make me an alcoholic. I'm just having a dop uh, in, in between the, the Torah and the, and, and the, and the brocha, right? 100%. So, so, so what, what, what do people need to look out for to say, oh, no, hang on, this is a red flag. This yeah. is not just, uh, fun. Fun, yeah. So I think the, the truth is that when it gets to a stage where it is a problem, the alcoholic knows. They just don't want to do anything about it or can't, and they don't know how to. So I'll give you a, a scenario. Uh, dad works hard all day, and he comes home, goes to shul, and, you know, has a has a beer at shul before the service or maybe after on a Friday, comes home, has a couple of whiskeys, and passes out. You know, it's been a long week. He, he's had a tough time. Wakes up in the morning, goes to shul Saturday morning, has a, a, a couple of lechaims at shul with his mates in the lechaim club. You know, maybe for a couple of the young kids, they're doing the same. They're off around the corner with a bottle of whiskey, em, you know, emulating the adults, goes goes home after shul, has lunch, passes out after lunch and has a wonderful Shabbos shloff. In his mind, he's doing nothing wrong. He's worked hard all week. Shabbos is time for rest. It's a time for, you know, sort of, I don't want to say recovery, uh, inappropriate word. It's a time for relaxing, but what's actually happening is that slowly he's eroding the quality of life for himself, his wife, and his kids. So because he's drinking and he's under the influence of alcohol, he's not present. You know, he's not present at the Friday night dinner as much as he could be, so he can't interact with his spouse and his children so in a sober way as much as he could be. He can't build that relationship. You know, we all work very hard. We hardly see our families, but we do that on Shabbos. If you're under the influence of alcohol, you're minimizing the ability to develop a deep, connected relationship with your spouse and with your kids. On a Saturday after lunch, maybe the dad should be playing with his kids in the garden, but he's passed out sloughing on the couch. So he's stealing those opportunities from himself and from his kids and so on. But we don't, we don't realize it because drinking is the norm. Listening to 101.9, Chai FM, Nick Engel is with us today talking about alcoholism in the community uh, and uh, issues facing people who uh, are, are drinking and uh, you know, affecting their families and the people around them. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Schulman. New Blue Review, Benji Schulman on 101.9, Chai FM, talking to Nick Engel today about issues relating to alcohol. And if you have a story or, or perhaps a perspective, I'd love to hear it. 0618951019. That is the telegram number or SMS us 34519. And Nick, we were talking a little bit before about Shabbat and being part of the experience. It was interesting for me. I read recently about a very senior rabbi in Gateshead Yeshiva, right? This is like the big Yeshiva in the UK. And one of the things that he instituted 20 years ago was a complete cut down on drinking during Purim. This is for the most religious sectors of our community because he was saying that this had gotten out of hand. Uh, and so there are these allowances in Judaism for drinking, sometimes even 
specifically pushing people to mm. do so. And, uh, and so, you know, you might think that this is just a secular problem or whatever, but actually it's, it's across our community. Absolutely. And also you have to look at the why are you drinking? Are you drinking because you're required to halachically that you get a little bit out of yourself, you forget, you know, that's my understanding of the point. Or are you drinking all the time because you want to avoid feeling a certain way, even though you don't realize that? That's the issue. The issue is when the drinking becomes chronic and when the, it becomes part of the culture of that community, it, it's a big issue. I mean, I remember working, um, helping out Rob cats uh, at uh, one of the functions that he organized where there were kids coming at the HOD to steal alcohol from the bar. And there was an elderly lady running the bar and these kids were basically bullying her and I had to go and stand there. And these guys all thought it was funny and it ended up with a young girl uh, being, you know, getting very ill from the alcohol and having to call an ambulance. So these are the problems. When we drink, uh, th- there's a drinking age of 18 for a reason. And you can't complain about the law in this country and then break the the law with drinking. You know, that's the reality. And it's there for a specific reason. So when we have rabbis or communities or parents allowing and encouraging drinking, it becomes a problem because people don't actually realize how dangerous it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this kind of insidious as a culture, you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening, or maybe I'm not sure, but I can imagine people, you know, saying, ah, you know, whatever, the kids are, we, we did it when, when we were younger, you know, stole a beer or something to, to drink at a bomb. It's for everyone does it, but actually it needs to be thought about more seriously in the culture of the community. Absolutely. The problem with alcohol or with any drug is when we open that doorway, we don't know where it's going to lead. No one wants to become an alcoholic. No one wants to end up a drunk. But when we start, we don't know if we're going to be able to close that door when we want to. And that's the risk. And that's really where the responsibility needs to come in, that no underage drinking. That's something that would be easy to set as a rule for our community and support. Don't drink underage. And manage your drinking. You know, shul is not supposed to be a place to get drunk. Um, you know, and I know the guys because I was one of them. <laughs> you know, when, when, when I'd pour a whiskey, it would be two thirds of the glass full of whiskey before I put ice in. I was the one encouraging all of my mates to drink. So if you're the guy that's pushing all of your friends to drink because you don't want to drink on your own, you are the one sitting with a p- very serious potential problem. I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting you say that, uh, you know, around around kids and and encouraging. Uh, you you do a lot of talking to to students, to 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 kids at schools as part of your your work. What kind of message do you give when you do that? I think so. I, I will never tell anyone not to drink or drink alcohol or use drugs, particularly with younger people, as teenagers. No one's going to listen to me. I just explain to them the consequences of what will happen. If they open that door, myself as an example, my late mother was a drug addict and she put me into very bad places that led to me being abused frequently by groups of, uh, by groups of men. I mean, it's a challenging thing to talk about, but that's the consequence of her drug use because she opened that doorway and this is the severity. So no one knows the kid that you're giving a lachaim to um, or allowing to drink in your community what the consequences of opening that doorway for them is going to be. And I see it a lot at Houghton House, all of these beautiful, amazing young Jewish kids coming through there with very serious addiction problems and nearly destroying their lives. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, quite a... um 
quite a like because you can't you don't see it right, so it's hard to detect. I mean, when you do these talks, do people come up to you mm. afterwards and say, "Oh, you know, I didn't realize." Uh, does it spark something in people? Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm for, I've had kids get up and leave the room in tears because they can relate so much to what their parents are doing to them because their parents have drinking problems. I get uh, emailed a lot and with people asking questions or for help. That's really the talking at schools and at the universities. That's where people come up to me and say, help, I've got a problem or you know, my parents have got a problem. My husband has got a problem. And there are guys that are sitting in our community that are functioning at a high level. And that's why I say a functioning alcoholic is the worst kind because you slowly erode the quality of life of your family and your loved ones and yourself. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy to say that the station, not not on, on alcoholism, but mm. I know that the station yeah. is getting very involved with, with outreach to the community mm. in this way. And I think that that's very important. But I'm also happy to hear from you that there is programs and ways that people can get help. So w- what is out there? What is available? If someone who's listening to this right now and uh, saying to themselves, oh, wait, I've been there. Uh, what can they do about it? So there, there's, there are formal uh, institutions like Houghton House that they can contact for help, go through and see a counselor and have a chat. There are Alcoholics Anonymous meetings uh, in our community. There are Narcotics Anonymous meetings in our community. You can find someone just to talk to that, that and ask for help. That's the biggest thing. You know, whether it's yourself or the problem or someone that you care about, ask for help. People can contact me. I'll leave a number. Um, I'll leave my email address and they can get hold of me as well just to chat to. They can come up to the gym and say, Nick, I need to talk to you, you know, which is what happens a lot. So, so maybe let's do that. I mean, do you, are you comfortable to give that on air? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so if people listening to this, they, they, they're themselves or they know someone, how can they get hold of you? So they can call me on 0741, sorry, uh, 074-403-1234. And give that to us okay. again. Okay. 074 403-1234. And do you have an email address? They can email me or WhatsApp me on that. And they can email me um, at the gym one, which is info, I-N-F-O, at emet, E-M-E-T, F-N-F, dot com. There we go. Okay, Nick Engel, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about this very important topic, uh, something which uh, I do hope people will take more seriously and think about in their communities. Also, I think not just individual people. I like this idea of thinking about a policy of, of no underage drinking uh, in our schools and schools um, and, and, and radio stations. <coughs> Howard. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and, and just, I'm just being your one today. Thank mm-hmm. you because, but it, it's not anything that can't be dealt with. You've just got to work on it and it, your quality of life will improve. Alcohol really doesn't add value to a, a life. You know, that's it. Being yourself and working on yourself is what adds value. Well, wiser words never said. Nick Engel, thank you so much for coming in, and uh, we'll see you when we have to deadlift. <clears throat> Tomorrow, uh, tonight, 6.30. <laughs> Nick Engel there from Emmett Jones. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 Hi FM, and uh, we're doing our regular slot called the Philosemite of the Week, taking a short time to appreciate people throughout history and the current who supported the Jewish people. And with the ninth of I've just having passed, uh, a lot of focus obviously was on the Holocaust and and the effects on on our community uh, from from different perspectives. And as part of it, I went to a full screening at Sydenham Shul uh, called the Conspiracy of Kindness about our uh, Philosemite of this week, who is Chunei Sugihara. And I'm not even sure Philosemite is the right word. He just seems to have been an amazing 
humanitarian and human being and someone who I think more people in the community should know about. So let's chat about him for a couple of minutes. Chinei Sugihara was a Japanese uh, diplomat, and he's the only uh, person from Japanese who's ever been cited as one of the righteous amongst the nations uh, at Yad Vashem. And what he did was that he was posted to uh, the... Soviet-occupied uh, area of Lithuania in uh, in during the World War II period, and at that particular time, uh, a lot of Jewish refugees were fleeing from both the Nazis and the Soviets, and, and they had found themselves in Lithuania, and they realized that if they didn't get out very soon, they were going to be having a very large problem, uh, and indeed many of them did, and uh, and. You know, ended up being killed in the Holocaust. But the ones that didn't w- tried to figure a way out. And what they managed to do was get visas to go to a small Dutch, uh, island called Kursakau, uh, in somewhere in South America. It was a Dutch, uh, protectorate or, pro- uh, colony. And they managed to get the Dutch embassy in Lithuania and Latvia to issue visas so that they could go. And, they now had to find a transit visa because you couldn't just leave the country. Uh, you, you needed a visa to say, I'm, I'm leaving. And so they looked around and they went to Chunai Sugihara, who was uh, at the Japanese consulate. Uh, and, uh, and, and they said to him, can we get exit visas to go out of Russia into Japan and then through there, uh, you know, to, to, well, really wherever, uh, they didn't really care. And, and so Shunei Sugihara, he, he sent a message to his government to say, please, won't you allow us to do this? Uh, and the government said no. Uh, at, at that stage, it, the army was in control. There were already geopolitical forces that were circling in Japan in, in terms of its connection with the Axis powers and, and they weren't interested. And so he cabled again and again and he get, kept getting the answer, no, 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 you cannot send people through our borders. And at that point, he decided to disobey his government, which for a Japanese diplomat is quite a serious issue uh, because, you know, they're not only strict in terms of their uh, governmental regulations, but also uh, the culture in terms of honor uh, and all this kind of of, of thing is a very big part of, of the culture there. And he disobeyed them and he started issuing visas and writing visas and working with people on visas and finding visas and, and taking very minimal uh, steps uh, to issue visas. And in the end, he issued more than 2,000 visas uh, for Jews who then were able to get out of the country. Most of them, uh, there were other aspects at play, and it was actually a very complicated story about the very many people, including the Soviets uh, and the Americans who paid for money for people to get out. But eventually, uh, people got out. They got in through Russia. They had to take a big train. Uh, and then they got to Japan uh, and actually ended up having to spend the war in Japan, even though uh, the Nazis were pushing to have them deported and murdered. And uh, Chinei Sugihara eventually paid an enormous price for this because uh, at the end of the war he was actually fired uh, from his job and spent the rest of his life uh, almost as like a, not quite a menial laborer, but uh, not certainly not the sort of high-powered position that he had. And he did it because he he saved Jews with these visas. And it's a story uh, that I think uh, more people should know about. Uh, and there's people in our community, uh, including rabbis, that, uh, uh, you know, were actually... Uh, around because their parents uh, were saved by this man and I just thought he is an absolutely perfect uh, person for the philosemite of the week. So go check him out. Chune Sugihara, The Conspiracy of Kindness.
brings us to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Mandy for producing, Craig who does the sound, Vusi who does the post-production, and for you for listening to the show. Uh, we'll be back with you next week.